The case information provided during this program includes details of violent criminal acts and may upset, shock, and offend some listeners. Any named suspects should be considered innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law. Our story today highlights the enduring love of a sister and her quest to find the killer who took her twin from her. Jody LaCornu was just 23 when she ended up sitting in her car one early morning in a parking lot in the Baltimore, Maryland area. Her murder was ruthless and devastating to her loved ones. Her twin Jenny is relentless in her pursuit of the coward who chose to murder Jody for whatever little gain he received. There are pieces of this puzzle that we have that could help solve this homicide, but not enough yet to bring the subject who committed this murder to justice. Please help us find Jody's killer. This is True Crime Takedown, and I'm your host, Troy Daniels. Jody and Jenny were twins who were born to their parents, John and Linda LaCornu, on October 28, 1972. Joanne Elizabeth, who went by Jody, was the older of the girls, since she was born two minutes earlier than Jenny. Jenny and Jody also had two older sisters. Many of us have brothers and sisters, and we understand the closeness and love that develops between siblings. I really cannot imagine the bond that exists between twin sisters. I was able to talk with Jenny Carreri and asked her what it was like growing up with her twin sister, Jody. You just have your companion around 24 hours a day. We were always together. My parents always had us in the same room. As we, you know, as we moved, my dad was in the military. You know, my parents dressed us alike. We had all the same friends. We just, you know, it's having your best friend and just always having somebody there. We were always together. That's great. Very close. Jenny's and Jody's dad, John, had accomplished much in his life. He had graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy and had retired from the Marine Corps as a colonel. He was also an assistant state's attorney who specialized in prosecuting violent crimes and drug offenses. Unfortunately, he also developed a serious drinking problem. Twins are super tight, which can also mean they have a built-in partner in crime with them all the time while they are growing up. This unfortunately led to them having the opportunity to follow in their dad's footsteps when it comes to alcohol. We started at a young age with um, addictions. So that, you know, started when we were about 12, 13. Prior to that, we had put my dad in treatment for alcoholism and pills. And when he got out, you know, he started drinking again. And we, I think we were 12 and we started drinking his vodka. He started drinking again. He would hide it. We'd find his places. And so we just started down a path of destruction with drinking and eating disorders and got into drugs. And yeah, so it was a really, we crashed and burned in a couple of years. You know, my mom was trying to help us help my dad and taking us to psychiatrists and programs and everything. And um, so we were together until we were, till we were 17. And then that's when they put us in a, a long-term treatment program and that's the first time we were separated 
While Jenny and Jody were in residential treatment, they were kept separated from each other and not allowed to speak. The staff at the facility believed that they had contributed to each other's substance abuse. Their parents also took part in some of the treatment. It was a, it was a family treatment program. So they had my parents coming to the program as well. And they hated it. They hated each other. So it was just a big nightmare. So it's a two-year program, but we both ended, actually, we both ran away. I ran away first, and then I got brought back, and then she ran away. I guess because she was 18, they didn't feel they could put her back in there. But I, I stayed in nine months, and she was in about five, maybe. Yeah. So she ended up moving to Baltimore, which is where she lived. While Jody lived in Baltimore, Jenny eventually got out of treatment and moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming with some relatives, and then later to California. The sisters remained close, though, and stayed in constant contact. We ended up, like I said, still stayed in touch all the time. We talked on the phone. We racked up phone bills that we couldn't afford, and I would had no problem to get a plane ticket and just like fly, up, fly back to Baltimore to see her. While in Baltimore, Jody ended up moving in with her boyfriend and was with him for several years. Unfortunately, Jody started drinking again. I asked Jenny if she thought that Jody was also using any drugs. You know, alcohol was her drug of choice, and we we got into drugs in high school, but she definitely drank heavily, and so did her her boyfriend. But I, I and my heart and to my knowledge and being around her never felt or saw that she was doing any drugs. Um, she had terrible anxiety. So, you know, she had gotten into cocaine in high school, but she, in my opinion, she just wasn't going to be doing that at that point in her life because she was just, she was very anxious. And so, and, and I, and I know she drank to calm herself down, but it, it's kind of like a vicious cycle. Um, you know, there was no drugs in her system when she died. And I know people over the years have said to me, oh, you shouldn't talk about all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, this is this is what happened in our life. And you get tired of trying to hide your life. You know what happened, you know, even as a, as a young child when. <sighs> Sorry. It's OK. I'm sorry. It's okay. You don't have to worry. When we, um, you know, put my dad in the treatment program, you know, you live in a small town and you have to like try to hide everything. And, um, you know, because people, because, you know, even from his, his mother, like we, like we, we had to like hide everything and lie. And, um, you know, and then when Jody and I, I mean, everything just was always like trying to be hush hush and, um, it just even even as I got older, when I got, you know, sober, I mean, I had some issues when I was in California and and just all the struggles that she went through <laughs> um, that we went through, you know, it's it, it's 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 real, you know, and people say you shouldn't talk about that. Like it's it's shameful or, you know, people aren't going to want to help you because because of alcohol or drugs and it's like you know and and at this point it's 2020 i mean most families at least a lot of the families i know struggle have somebody in their family that struggles with addiction or 
you know, different issues. So I'm very open about it now and I talk about it. Um, she struggled, I struggled, my father struggled, you know. So I get I get frustrated when people are like, I can't believe you openly talk about this stuff. Jody's boyfriend would get upset with her when she would go out drinking. Her favorite bar, the Mount Washington Tavern, was just a few miles from her home. Leap year, February 29, 1996, was a Thursday night, and Jody went out that night drinking at the Mount Washington Tavern. The next morning, Friday, March 1st, her boyfriend told her that she should probably spend the night with her parents and not come home because he was angry with her for going out the night before. What happened is that she did start drinking again, and her boyfriend trying to get her to stop drinking. And so she loved this bar at the Mount Washington Tavern where she would go. And he didn't like her being there. He he preferred her to be home. And, and even when they were drinking together, wanted her to be drink with him at home. And so the they got in a fight that Friday morning. And so the Thursday night prior, she was at the bar and he knew it. And so he got angry that Friday morning and said, you should just go to your parents' house this weekend. Um, so yeah, so that morning, that Friday morning, they got into a fight that was March 1st and, and so he told her not to come home. She went to work. Tragically, Jody did not realize that when she left her home that day, she would never return there again. Jody was attending school at Towson State University with a major in geriatrics. After being asked to stay away from home by her boyfriend for that upcoming night, she ended up going to work at her new job. She had just started working at a bank as a receptionist and she just loved it there. She went to work. She was working at Eastern Savings Bank and then went back to the bar, the Mount Washington Tavern and stayed there till close. So she never went over to my parents. She had a lot of friends, people that loved her. For her to not have a plan that night was just very unusual just to go off into the you know, what she was thinking is is hard to know, you know. Um, I know she liked the owner of the bar. I know she kind of had a crush on him. And and I feel like maybe that was part of the reason why she liked to go there. Um, maybe he knew that, the boyfriend. I don't know. So she went there till close and somebody asked her to drive the janitor home. Jody would give you the shirt off her back but just late at night I don't know that she would just she would be afraid to drive I, I feel like she'd be afraid to drive somebody home she didn't know that well especially a male um but she drove him home and then stopped at a liquor store that was still open right close to the bar and bought a six-pack of beer and went and sat in this Caldor parking lot which was a department store like some sort of department store way back when and so that's where she went and sat in this parking lot sometime before she went to the parking lot she may have withdrawn money from the atm jody ended up in the lot and sat in her white honda civic drinking the beer that she had just purchased at the convenience store it was approximately three o'clock in the morning and it was snowing at the time it was known as the caldor parking lot but later was named the Drumcastle Government Center in the 6400 block of York Road in Baltimore County. This parking lot was just around the corner from where she and her boyfriend lived and about three miles from the Mount Washington Tavern. So 
she sat there and it was snowing. So that was the other thing. I mean, for her to go sit in a dark parking lot was, everything was just odd. She wouldn't have done that. I mean, why wouldn't she have gone to somebody's house? It's just odd. Like, it makes me think maybe she was meeting somebody to go sit in this parking lot with a six pack of beer. While she was parked in the lot, Jody made several phone calls. Jenny knows that some of the calls were back to the Mount Washington Tavern where she had spent the evening drinking. So she made several phone calls, a couple of them back to the bar. It's unclear to me because I've heard different stories that she was looking for the owner of the bar. She was looking for drugs. She was looking for a party. Um, there was no drugs in her system, just so, so you know. And even if she was decided, oh, it's the end of the world, you know, when you get those times when you're like, it's the end of the world, my boyfriend's breaking up with me, I just might as well, like, jump off the bridge or, you know, something like that, like, might as well do drugs. She certainly wouldn't drive to a dark parking lot and meet some person she didn't know. I mean, that, so, you know, I, I don't shove any theory away, but I just don't think that that would be how she would get drugs at, at this point in her life, being that she's so afraid of everything. Jenny was told that another phone call was made to the boyfriend of a previous roommate. This former roommate was a woman that Jody had helped before. She had at one point moved this girl in with her. They had waitress together and she was, I don't know, homeless or something. I don't know what happened. She had nowhere to go. And so that's how, how Jody was. She would help people. And so then this girl ended up moving out with her boyfriend. So she called their place and talked to him and never talked to the girl and had a two and a half minute conversation, which I thought was very odd. And at that time at night before somebody shot, um, two and a half minutes can be a long time. They find out that he had his friend with him that night. So a lot of things that come out 20 years later, like he had his friend with him. It, was he involved? Jenny has not been told what Jody and the boyfriend of her previous roommate talked about. So not only did Jody have this conversation with her ex-roommate's boyfriend, it was later learned that the boyfriend had another friend with him that night. Jenny is unsure what, if anything, the friend told police about that night. So these phone calls took place approximately 30 minutes after Jody arrived at the parking lot and started drinking beer. Jody was still in her car in the parking lot at about 3.30 a.m., when a white BMW pulled up close to Jody's Honda Civic. A black male got out of the BMW and walked up to the driver's door of the vehicle. Jody rolled down her window and there was a conversation between her and the black male. The black male fired a shot while he was standing outside her car. The round went through the rear left passenger window and through the driver's seat and then into her back and through her spine. Fortunately, there were witnesses to the shooting of this defenseless woman who told police what they saw. So there were six total witnesses and they saw an African-American approach her vehicle. They said that her window was rolled down and that there was some sort of conversation and that he ended up shooting her from behind the back, like from the back, and then went in through the door and to the seat and then into her spine and the bullet severed her spine. Somehow. Jody was able to drive off after being shot and seriously wounded. She guided her car across the road into a parking lot of a large shopping center that had a giant food store and a Boston market. 
the black male got back into his white BMW and closely followed her. She was able to drive and it wasn't a straight shot. And this was what was my family wondered how she was able to drive with a severed spine. Um, but she was able to get out of this parking lot and four or five lanes on York Road, drove across York Road into this other huge shopping center where there's a giant grocery store, which apparently was 24 hours. So there was a few people at the Boston market that were unloading their truck for the market and they saw her come across and they saw the white BMW follow her. And so he sat at the entrance of the parking lot as she just circled around the parking lot and and then she hit a curb. Jody's car finally came to a stop after it struck a curb. Witnesses described the black male suspect initially waiting at the entrance to the parking lot and watching Jody for a short while. He then drove up to Jody's car. The stocky black male got out of the BMW and walked up to her car wearing an olive green fatigue style jacket. He reached in the driver's window and put the car into park and shut off the lights. He then reached across Jody's body and appeared to take something. The suspect got back into his white BMW and then turned south on York Road and then east onto Walker Avenue. What these two witnesses said is that he came up upon her and reached in her window and put her car in park and turned the headlights out and took items out of her car and was just never in a hurry. Um, and he got back in his car and slowly drove out of there. The suspect left Jody to die on this cold, dark, and snowy night. Witnesses notified police right away, but it was too late for Jody. Police processed the scene and were unable to find her purse or her mobile phone inside the car. It has been reported that police may have fingerprints that have been lifted from the car, as well as items that may contain trace evidence that could be tied to the suspect if ever identified. Police do have some video evidence that was recovered from a camera at the scene. Unfortunately, since it was snowing, so far, the video is of limited value. The weapon that took Jody's life was a 38 caliber handgun. There was hope that there was going to be an arrest soon after this murder, but none came. In the early years, it was Jenny's and Jody's dad who communicated with police about the status of the investigation. Since their dad was an assistant prosecutor, this made him the natural liaison between the assigned investigators and the family. Also, Jody's death had a terrible and devastating impact on Jenny and their mother's ability to cope with everything going on around them. My dad was a prosecutor. He prosecuted drug and violent crime. So he was the one that was working with the police. And I mean, I was, my mom and I were just, I mean, I couldn't function for years. Like I wasn't involved in the investigation. I was just trying to, you know, I was such a basket case. I couldn't even be alone in a room by myself. Like I was just so distraught. My father got very ill. And, and so we spent a lot of time taking care of him. And, um, you know, he got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So that was like our focus for a while is taking, getting his treatments. And then he ended up dying. And I just really got, uh, after he died, getting more involved with Jody's case and just trying to get answers and just 
feeling very frustrated. With their dad deceased, Jenny started taking over communication with police about Jody's case. This would have been about 10 years after Jody's murder. Through the years after Jenny started to look into her sister's killing, she became very concerned about what was being done to solve the case. In 2016, 20 years after Jody's death, she made a formal request to get copies of the reports and case notes. However, Baltimore County authorities denied her request. Jenny continues to work tirelessly to pursue information that could help solve her sister's case. In 2018, she was inspired to put up billboards near where her sister was slain by the movie, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. In that movie, a mother puts up billboards to bring attention to the unsolved rape and murder of her daughter. In the first billboard that Jenny put up, there are big bold letters at the top that say, find my killer, with a beautiful picture of Jody smiling, with the reward notification of up to $32,000 with the Metro Crime Stoppers phone number of 1-866-7-LOCKUP. In late 2018, Jenny upped that reward to $100,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person responsible for Jody's murder. Jenny demonstrates her unending love for her sister through her efforts. Jenny spends countless hours conducting interviews for any media source that will listen, TV, radio, podcasts, newspapers, in the hopes that her work will lead to closure for this case. Jenny's relentless pursuit of justice for Jody has at times been exhausting. She gets very emotional when she talks about this horrible crime and the toll the desire for answers has taken on her family. My twin was murdered when I was 23. My life has never been the same, you know? And it's like, all I want to do is find out who killed her. I want to find out what happened. And I still feel like I haven't fully like grieved because I still feel like I'm falling apart half the time, you know? And, and, and then just to have to deal with all this and it, and it caused a lot of stress in my family and with my children, you know, because I just went for several years, I was just, going crazy, like doing all these interviews and, and putting myself in situations, you know. Jody was just 23 when her life was cruelly cut short. She was described as being kind, extremely generous with a big heart. She was full of life and joy. I am in awe of how hard Jenny works to find the killer who senselessly took Jody's life. Let's do what we can to help Jenny receive justice for Jody. Here is a quick review of the case. Jody is shot in the back with a 38 caliber handgun while she is in her car on March 2nd, 1996 in Baltimore County, Maryland in the 6400 block of York Road, which was the giant food and Boston Market parking lot. The suspect is described as a stocky black male, approximately 5 foot 10 inches to 6 foot 1 inches tall and weighing approximately 200 to 220 pounds, wearing an army green fatigue style jacket. In 1996, he was described as being in his mid-20s to early 30s. Since it is now about 25 years later in the year 2020, this would put the suspect's current age at approximately 50 to 55 years old. The killer was driving a white BMW. The suspect probably took Jody's purse and mobile cell phone. If police ever get a name of the suspect, there is possibly physical evidence that may be able to tie him to the scene. If you have any information on who committed this murder, please call the Boston County Police Department at 1-410-887-2222.
If you want to remain anonymous, you can leave tips by calling 1-866-7-LOCKUP. By web, you can go to MetroCrimestoppers.com or through the P3 Tips app. That's the letter P and the number three, P3 Tips app. If you would like to donate to the GoFundMe to help Jenny pay for the billboards that ask for tips from the public, go to JusticeForJody.com. That's Justice, the number four, Jody.com. Or go to a link on the episode page on our website at TrueCrimeTakedown.com. Also, go to the Justice for Jody Facebook page to like and follow so you can get updates on this investigation. I want to thank retired Toronto Star newspaper journalist Cal Miller for introducing Jenny to me for this podcast. Cal was a founding member of the Toronto Crime Stoppers and he has written several books on crime. The murder of Jody Lacornu is one of the cases covered in his book, What is Crime Stoppers? For a full list of his six crime-related books, go to the episode page on our website or go to calmiller.com, C-A-L-M-I-L-L-A-R. His books are also available through Amazon. Thanks, Cal, for shedding more light on this murder. Our hope is Jenny will soon find the justice for Jody that she has sought for so very long. Thanks for listening. Please help us fight crime by joining the True Crime Takedown team through Patreon. You can join the Takedown team by going to truecrimetakedown.com team. Our Patreon Takedown team members get exclusive episodes, audio extras, bonus content, and much more. Pictures and sources for this podcast can be found on our website, as well as how to donate to Jody's Find My Killer billboard campaign. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True Crime Takedown. We'll be back the new episode soon. True Crime Takedown is a production of Crime Fighters Media.